Welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast, where we focus on bridging your success with fulfillment in your personal, business, and spiritual life. And now your hosts, Scott Berry and Joshua Wenner. Hello, hello, and welcome again to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast. As always, I'm Scott Berry, joined by my amazing partner, Joshua Wenner. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Scott. Grateful to be here. So we had a specific topic and show scheduled for today, and we thought we'd diverge from that just a little bit and talk about some, some current life stuff that has been going on. And Josh had just gone through a pretty interesting process, and I'll actually kind of hand it off to him and let him explain about what's going on. And I think this would be just a really great topic to dive into from a bunch of different angles. So Josh, why don't you kind of explain what's been going on with you? Uh, let us know where your head, where your heart's at, and uh, just been just what's been going on. Yeah, you know, I think I think one of the things that we all face in life is we face loss. And it's one of those things where so much of the time we get so used to life that, um, and our, uh, you know, the law of familiarity, our friends, our family, our people that we love in our lives and our, our, our other children, which can be our pets. And <clears throat> I had recently gotten uh, about six months ago, some, some kittens and their brother and sister and uh, man, I got to tell you, like the love that I experienced from these, these kittens are amazing. And uh, a couple weeks ago, my cat got sick and I took him to the hospital. One of, one of them, the brother, his name's Shiva and his sister Shakti. And I took him to the hospital again and again. And, you know, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with them. And I was doing blood tests and I did x-rays and I did urinalysis and fecal tests. And it's like uh, what they, what happens with cats is they don't, it's all a process of elimination. So they keep testing to try to rule out what it's not. And, you know, that went on for me for nine days and about seven of those days he had IVs in his arms. Um, they were recommending I put him on 24 hour watch and I refused to, when I would check in with him, I about midway, midway through, I started to realize that I may lose him. And um, when I started to actually face that, um, I really decided to t- start bringing him home. So in, in general, what we're going to, I think what we're going to really talk about today is it has to do with loss and it's, it's a relevant time because I just, I just went to the loss of my cat Sheba. And um, I think we can really get into a lot of lessons that come from, you know, when it happens during it um, afterwards, there's just so much around this subject. And I know Scott and I had talked offline about some of the life lessons and some of the ahas from it. And so really like to share. I'm, I'm, I'm really comfortable with the process of death, with the, with the grieving process. Um, you know, we've probably talked about it before. I've probably mentioned it that I'm, you know, four years into a documentary called grief to grace and I've been interviewing grief experts and people around the subject. So it's very fitting that I would of course, you know, get presented with an experience of now dealing with grief, um, at the end of this journey that I've been on and get to see where I'm at now. So, there's so much to talk about, uh, you know, I don't know if it's, if I need to go a little bit more into like my, my journey of um, things happening and, and some of the ahas I got, or what, what, where would you like to start on just kind of diving into this topic? 
Yeah. So I, I like to keep it um, fairly flexible and, and free flowing and, and we'll just kind of see how this goes. I know we, we had gone to little bits of conversation throughout the week. I, I've been checking with Josh um, just on a friend level about his process. And the one thing that me and Josh has have shared is this really deep love for animals and how much that we've really been contributing a lot of our heart-based fulfillment through the cat, the pets that we're caring for and having this type of animal energy into our life. And actually, one of the episodes we're actually going to be doing is how pets really integrate into a lot of our fulfillment. And it was so serendipitous that this happened to come about at this interesting time you know, in your life when you're doing this documentary, uh, Grief to Grace, and, you know, you had been wrapped up in a lot of this. And, and what's really interesting is how much of these items that you not only have been through, but you've also, you know, preached and, and bring to life in your documentary, just how much of this is still a, is still a process and is still work and, and, you know, still going through your, your own uh, ways of learning and dealing with transition. And so just for a little bit of clarification, I have a couple cats. I've had one cat that God, I've had forever. And he's just my, my second part of my soul. And he just turned 14. And as part of my gift to him was adding a little buddy to the mix. And so I bought a little girl. I've got purebed sphinx cats, these little gray sphinx cats. I'll have to put a couple pictures in the, in the show notes. And they have literally just been the light of our lives and in the amount of joy and just companionship that these little creatures have brought have just been nothing short of amazing. And it, it really helps me get back to nature when I am in the middle of a city, I live in San Francisco, and so I'm, I'm like right in the heart of the city. And so when you're living in a concrete jungle, to not have immediate access to nature, sometimes bringing in animals is a really good representation of, of bringing nature and, and um, Mother Guy into the house. So it's always been very comforting and warm to, to have that. And Josh recently brought in a couple cats into his life. And I think, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the cats that you had were still kittens. And she was a kitten when she passed away. How, how old were the cats? Yeah, the cats are about 10 to somewhere between 10, 10 and a half months old, right around where they're at. So I got, I got them at like three to four months old. And, and I really like, I, I think this, I like the, like your way you're flowing it. I think, I think maybe opening up like this conversation a little bit about why, why cats and the joy and love is a great starter point. So I really like the direction you're heading. Yeah. Um, so, so, well, well, let me ask you this then. Yeah. Uh, I, so what I know you, you're really busy. Uh, you're tackling on quite a bit of projects right now. And you have been for, you know, the last year and a half, what prompted you to get cats and or just animals in general? And what was some of your takeaway from it? And what were some of the surprises that you had bringing those little fuzzy creatures into your life? 
Yeah, you know, uh, it, randomly, the way it came is I was dating, and I noticed in the relationships, I kind of was like, and I was uh, there was a pressure. There was a pressure of like, okay, let's go. <laughs> like on to the next thing, right? And I noticed this pressure that I was bringing, and it was really interesting. I was almost moved, trying to move the, whatever the thing was a little too fast in some, and then it was almost like, okay, this isn't working off. You know, so so I, I had this pressure of trying to get somewhere, if you will, and I observed that about myself. And when I really went in and felt into that, I really was like, okay, what's behind that pressure? And what I realized is there was a part of me that was really, as you mentioned, I'm I'm I, I do put my hand up. I'm workaholic. I know that, <laughs> and take <laughs> yeah. on way too many projects and probably don't create enough space. And so uh, I'm so busy building and creating that I don't I don't have as much nurturing energy I think as I would like. And I realized that and went, wow, okay, I think I'm putting pressure on these dynamics because I'm craving nurturing energy. And, and then once I, so what I realized is, is there a way that I can own that in my life without needing that outside of me? Um, and so it takes away the pressure. And uh, a good friend recommended cats. Have you thought about a cat or an animal? And the fact that I'm so busy was more of a natural progression for, for cat than it was a dog. Um, and so I started looking around for a cat and then uh, a friend of mine said, well, if you're going to get one, you might as well get two. <laughs> they said, it's not that much harder to take care of two. Yeah. And actually if you're gone, they have a buddy and it does give them some companionship and it is better for them. And when I felt into that, that felt really aligned. And I got to say the pivotal moment for me was when I actually decided, okay, I think this is the direction I'm going to go. I was laying on the couch one night after a long day of working. And I remember looking around like, oh my God thinking about having life in the house with me <laughs> instead of just me, you know, just my energy, yeah. but, this, but this presence that I could connect with and cuddle with and play with. And I just got so filled with joy, even anticipating thinking about it, uh, that the irony was I realized, oh my God, I've been really lonely. So the irony was in the joy filled moment of what they would give me, I realized exactly where I'd been previously, if that makes any sense. And at that moment, it was just a must. And I went, waited, uh, went through a lot of different cats that I would just go look at. And then these, these two, uh, which are tabbies, they're orange. They're both orange and white tabbies. I walked in and Chiva actually, uh, when I saw him, he just stopped and stared at me. Like he stared at my soul and I just knew right then I was like, okay. And so he was a, a shelter cat and uh, a woman had taken care of them. And um, I took him home that day. So I took him home and I think I've had him for roughly like six, between six and seven months. And I got to, I got to tell you, man, just, just, you know, what I didn't expect was the amount of care that they take and being very busy. Um, they instantly, once I took them in, became a part of my life. And even though I'm very busy, like whatever I do, I go all in with, including my cats. So once I had these cats, I'm like, okay, well, you're an extension of me and I love you. And so like, there's a whole routine to getting up and taking care of their, you know, their food and their cat litter and playing with them and being present with them. So it actually takes up a lot of time. And what I realized was I feel deeply nurtured from the cats, but the irony is it's not that they gave it to me. <laughs> like I thought I had this picture of like, Oh, they're just going to cuddle me whenever I want. And I had this, you know, projection of what I thought it would be. And then when I got them, it was nothing like it. It's like, they don't do anything I want. Um, they do what they want. And so they've taught me unconditional love um, to such a deep level. Cause I love them unconditionally whether or not they do what I want. And mm -hmm. it really taught me to be present with them and like, oh, what do they need? Right. And really, you know, like we've talked a lot about in partnerships, like how can we show up more for partners and 
be present to what they need and give what they need. And I think it's really been good training for me of just like, oh, just feeling into like my, for example, my girl, what does she need and where she's at and being present with her? Like, oh, I thought she didn't because I pick her up and she kind of whines and I realized, oh, I think it actually gives her indigestion. So I notice her kind of burp a little bit and I notice. So it's, it's interesting. The more and more it, it causes me to slow down, to be present with them, to really feel what's going on and to sense them, I start to f- figure out what's going on. And I really, truly love them unconditionally. And I'm receiving the nurturing by giving the nurturing. Yeah. It was my core distinction. Yeah. So was that, was that part of the revelation? Just to clarify what you just said, the initial thought process for you was I'm going to get these cats. I'm going to, you know, possibly come home on days where you know, I've been working hard, and it would just be nice to have some companionship. They'll come and they'll they'll give me a little bit of love, and I'll be able to to really soak that in. And realizing that the actual fulfillment that you got from that, and the gratification that you actually got from that, wasn't necessarily the fact that oh, I get all this, I get all this love and attention, but it was more about the interaction of the animal, the being able to care for them and then figuring out what they want. And, you know, of course still getting the love pets and, you know, the connection time and all of that, but it was the whole encompassing, I guess, symbiotic relationship you had with the pet and this animal entity of everything that goes on, you know, taking care of it and going, buying it stuff. And, and I guess also the responsibility part of it as well. Yeah. So I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. It's, I, I think I had this image of like, it would be really easy. I'd put a feeder in, like I had no idea, right? I just thought, oh, it'll be easy. I'll put it in. I'll put a little box. I'll put a feeder. I'll come home when I want attention. I had this picture that they'd like curl up in my arms and cuddle me like 24 seven when I needed it. And then I would work. It's like, like, an, on, picture, yeah, right? like an on-demand pet. Like an on-demand. <laughs> yeah. Which again, like the thing that yeah. I think that's funny about it is I think this is the way a lot of people go into relationships. Mm. I think a lot of people yeah. go into relationships thinking like, oh, they're going to give me everything that I'm craving. Right. And that's what a relationship does. And so then I got into it and I got them and fell in love with them and realized one, they're, I think one distinction too is they unconditionally love me. So you're like, they're around you. They're, your whole world, you are their whole world. So they see your house and that's it. I mean, with my indoor cats and I know you have indoor cats. So they're not going into the whole world and all the different relationships and connections and business, like their life is here at the house. So, and uh, I think it was a core lesson. Like I want them to lay on me and they lay two feet away and then I pick them up and they lay, or they lay next to me and I get closer and they lay two more feet away. (laughs) Right. And it was this, it was this lesson. And like, uh, I remember being frustrated at first, like, oh, this wasn't, this is what, this isn't what I expected. And feeling the, the the suffering, right? Because expectation equals suffering. Right. And I had this expectation yeah. and suffering. And then once I surrendered through that, like, you know what? I'm going to love them unconditionally for however they show up. And once I got past that, it really allowed me to see them and then to love them how they need to be loved. And so, for example, my girl wasn't very connected. She was very distant at first. And what I noticed is when I played with her, she became like when I was super present with her and played with her, how she wanted to be played. And all of a sudden she'd get really cuddly. And so what I started to notice is like, oh, the more attention I give her, almost like serving her needs, seeing her world, loving her, not being overly connective, but connective, if that makes sense. Like just finding the balance with her, everything that I was craving, she gave me, if that makes any sense. So there's a symbiotic relationship. But yeah, I would have to say a lot of it came from one loving something unconditionally, I think was the core of and and feeling feeling such love when they like, when you bond with them, because there's a bonding that happens with, with these kittens. 
that all of a sudden they go from kind of being distant from you to like warming up. And it took a while, but once they warmed up and like Shiva would lay on my lap and he would never touch. So it's like, I think that's what it was. It's like day and day and day and day working (laughs) towards like opening their hearts, if you will. And the only way through it was to love them through it and to find what worked for them. And as I would learn them and show them each day that I'm not going to leave and I'm going to keep showing up and give them more presents. It would like, it's like we built this trust. And I think, yeah, you know, being a quote unquote workaholic and um, seeing that's one of my gifts, but it's also one of my downsides. Um, I got to say it's super fulfilling coming home and a lot of nights I come home and I work a lot and then I'm here with the cats and they're who I play with and the attention that I give. And so they've, the amount of love that I was able to experience in such a short period of time with these animals was phenomenal. You know, it's unconditional. There's no fear of lose of them leaving you, if you will. Right. Yeah. So there's none of the current things that you have in a relationship. Curious is that, you know, with your cats, um, you know, the, the level of love and connection you've been able to get from your cat. And I guess when you've gone through highs and downs and ups, you know, when things are happening, cause I know you've had Rami for such a long time, curious that process of getting Rami and, and um, the level of love and joy that you've had and, and, and that companionship. I'm just curious your process around that as well. Yeah. So with Rami, so he's coming up 14 years and I got him as a kitten. And the interesting thing about Rami is I think like you, I was craving a little bit of companionship. And at that point I actually had quite a robust a friend group and community group. So I had lots of friends around me, but I think there was, there's always been a piece of my heart that has always loved animals. And for whatever reason, I just felt compelled to start looking at animals and I have a little bit of an allergic reaction to cats and dogs. And at that point, the lifestyle that I had wasn't really conducive to bringing in a dog. So I looked in the cats and I was never a cat person. And interestingly, my, one of my friends had a, a purebred Sphinx cat named Chemo. And he brought him over to my house one day just to, just to get a feel of, of what it might be like and to also see how bad my allergies might be. And he brought him over and I was like, wow, this, is, this feels good. Like I, I was envisioning the warmth in the house. Like there's just something about having animal energy in the house even if it's not right in front of you. And so I looked for a breeder and ended up getting Rami about 14 years ago. I think he was four months when I got him. And, you know, the really interesting thing about a hairless cat is for anybody that does have allergies, there's still a little bit of the allergen in the saliva, but because they don't have fur, they don't shed and it doesn't really react that much to me. So I didn't really have any reactions. I had maybe a couple sniffles here or there, but having Rami in my life actually made me more tolerant to other cats. It almost like I I built up an immunity, but right when I got him within the first week, it was such a confirmation. Like have you ever gone to, I don't know, like a country or certain events or a group of people or a seminar where you immediately got there and you felt, ah, oh, this feels like home. And if someone asked you, what does home feel like in this social situation? Or what does home feel like in this geography? And you really couldn't explain it, but you know, it feels like home when you're there. That's, that's what I got from having Rami and, and having a pet in my life. There was this immediate just satiation of like, wow, this is really what 
my heart calls for and desires. And, you know, having, I actually had this conversation last night, having someone in your life and, you know, just like what you said, his whole life is, you know, this 14,000 or 1400 square foot house in which he roams around and I become the son, if you will, to his existence. And, you know, having an animal that you're so connected to through, I mean, we're talking 14 years and I've had extreme highs and extreme lows in my life. I mean, I mean, breakups, um, just very challenging times, like really challenging, challenging times that I've had in my life. And, you know, through it all, that one really constant that I had was, was my cat. And, you know, now I would say it's, it's shifted a little bit to not only the cat, but this kind of higher core belief that I have in myself, which I've cultivated over the years. But for a while, like he was like my little rock, <laughs> you know, the one thing that I could always count on. And so I, I just realized how much appreciation that I have for not only him, but I, it's interesting because what I see through his eyes is I literally see the world. I literally see the environment and whenever I hear of floods, global warming, or any of these, you know, oil spillage, these disasters is I, I feel like I have a little bit more compassion for it because of my cat, if that makes sense, because I feel like they're so pure and they're so present in the moment that I see nature and world and guy and all of that through his eyes. And it's really helped me become a little bit more present in my own world. And it's helped me just become a little more conscious about the world in general. And it's actually helped me slow down a little bit more. And um, it's just been such a phenomenal gift. And I also know that I'm you know, kind of running on borrowed time right now. So like every day or every month and every year that I get with him, that's another year. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm so honored and so blessed. And I, I do also really recognize what you said about the relationship aspect of, and, and, you know, I, I think I'll have you explain this a little bit more, but you noticed that there was this knee that you were almost asking unfairly, if you will, I guess, uh, I guess also in, in a subconscious way, like you weren't really conscious of what you were doing at the time, but, but I'll let you explain that, um, that you were probably giving this, this need that you had, like this deep need that you had to have this certain type of connection. And you were, I guess, unfairly asking that in the relationship. Was that something you, you realized while you're in the relationship and if you didn't, was it something that you, you realized while you were getting the cat or did you not realize until after you got the cat and you're like, oh, now that I see <laughs> the type of fulfillment that I'm getting from a cat, I was asking for that in like this relationship and this relationship. I was wondering what your process was and your revelation through that. Yes. Yeah, so my, <clears throat> I, I observed that, that something wasn't working prior but again, not being able to really put my finger on it. I just, uh, I, I look at it from a, so to take a step back, my belief is that I'm a whole individual. So with the reflection of a partner, I'm, you know, the observation of whole. 
uh, I guess, is looking for that reflection, right? And so along the way, what I've tended to do is I observe what shows up and then I observe what's happening. And then I observe if it's in flow, if there's pressure, if there's not, like I just really observe the relationship or the connection. So I'd had a couple relationships where I just felt like there was pressure. The only way I can describe it is there's just like this pressure. And I don't know if the pressure was me, like almost like we'd have some dates and things would be good and me wanting to be like, okay, well, is this a good fit? Are we going to keep moving it forward? Or do I need to push this away to like create, like just there's a pressure, right? And it was almost like a pressure of like, what's next? And usually I'm super go with the flow and super chill with a lot of things. And I just would notice that. So that's why I looked at it like, okay, let me disconnect from relationship area for a while. Let me go internally and work on that pressure. What's beneath that pressure and how do I handle it? So that's where the whole conversation of the cat came from is like, wow, I think I'm putting undue pressure on relationships because of something I'm craving nurturing. That's where it came from. Cause I think when I looked at it, I really enjoyed the courting process. And I think a part of the courting process was being around the nurturing energy. And I think like now that I'm seeing it, I get to nurture when I'm courting, <laughs> right? So a part of me is actually getting to nurture a woman, which is a different energy, but I'm like planning what we're doing. And I mean, it's a different form of nurturing because for me, I'm deciding where we're going. I'm planning a date. I'm planning something fun and creative. And, uh, you know, so to me, I think that part of it was the nurturing energy. And I think sometimes I was not allowing the space to see if something would work. And if it didn't work, allowing it to kind of not work and really quickly on versus like, ah, oh, let me see a little bit more or learn a little bit more. I just felt like a pressure. So mm-hmm. that's what created the, the energy to get the cat to solve that. And then once I got the cats, now it was cats. Um, I noticed that I started to learn that what, what I crave is I get it by giving. And that was a really big core distinction. And the irony is, and, and I'll get to this, I think, as we start to unpack the layers on it. And I think it's really relevant. We started with the love because the level of loss we feel is in direct proportion to the level of love that we feel. So the reason I'm really glad that we started off on, on the magnitude of what these cats bring is because I feel like for anybody that's listening that any area of life, we're going we're gonna to talk about this and how it relates to, to a pet and the, the loss that I went through with the pet. However, this could be related to you might be losing your parents or your parents might be going through something and, or you might be losing a good friend or you might be dying. You might have cancer or tumor or something's going on, or you may have another form of loss. You may have lost something like your legs or your eyesight or your vision or your hearing or Mm. some sort of a sense. So again, when we look at loss, it may have been a dream. You may have a fantasy or a dream that you fell in love with. And now you're past the time when you think you can make it happen or you know, you fell in love with something unconsciously and you didn't realize it. So there's, there's all these layers. And my experience is the level of loss, we, again, I'll say it again, the level of loss we feel is in direct proportion to the level of love we feel. So painting this picture of the amount of joy and happiness that got brought into our lives from these cats and love, like pure joy and love, it sets it up so that when you lose these cats, it's devastating. It's, it's simply devastating. It's the same if anybody you love and, and the same goes through with the dream, a fantasy, a person, an experience, everything. When we lose that, it's, it's the magnitude of devastation is in direct proportion to the magnitude of love because yeah. we're experiencing our love. So, um, so I think with that process, you know, when I first discovered that 
you know, and Shiva's been sick a couple times and I would just take him to the vet as an overcautious parent, I think starting out to try to learn from what's going on to, to kind of figure it out. And I'd taken him a couple times before, no problem. He'd been right out. And this time I took him to the vet. Uh, and again, for my life amidst like moving and changing and all this different stuff. And all of a sudden he's sick and she says, okay, his temperature didn't go down. Um, he's still acting quiet. He's still, cause for, for cats, I'm not sure what dogs do, but cats, they almost want to hide it from their owners that something's going on. They're very proud. And so they kind of like hide in a corner and almost don't tell you what's going on. So you have to really be present to see what's going on. And when I took him in, he had a high temperature. And when they started doing tests, they realized like his temperature wasn't going down. So the only way that you try to regulate a temperature is they put an IV in his arm and they try to keep him on IV fluid on a consistent basis. And that it took it down for a little bit and then it went back up. And so that's why they recommended, hey, we can't keep his temperature down. And if they get above, I think, a 106 and it's prolonged, there can be all kinds of damage um, from neurological damage to just so that's the challenge you're dealing with. If you if you don't put them on IV and the fever goes up and doesn't go down, then I mean they're they're being destroyed from the fever, from the problems that happen. So when I first took him in, I kept taking him back in three or four days. And then after that, I think the first four days, and then she's like, you know, I really recommend you take him into 24 seven care. And, um, and I think at that point I came home one night and it was right around that point when I started to realize like, wow, okay, this is, I was talking to a good buddy and he, and he said, Oh yeah, I've lost a lot of cats and you got to be prepared when you take them to the vet, they may not come home with you again. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time. And I'm really grateful he did it. I've done this for, friends losing mothers and fathers and loved ones of like having that friend conversation to say, you need to face this. And I'm really glad my friend had that conversation with me because that, that night I really grieved um, hard and well, I'll, I'll back it up. Um, uh, two nights before that, my pattern is um, when, when something's not working and I think we'll, we'll kind of really dive into the subject because it's really relevant. Um, we tend to numb. So when we don't want to feel in our heart, when something's wrong, We've been taught, again, we've, we haven't been taught to deal with loss. So instead of dealing with loss, we usually push it down. And then, then we try to numb, distract, avoid. We do all these things to not feel because we've been taught feeling is wrong. It's vulnerable. It's weak. And so we've been taught to win, to be strong, to be powerful, to compartmentalize. So typically when something's going on like this, we tend as a, as a society not to face it. And I did as well. And even though I have all this training, even though I have all this background, the first three, four days in, I was like, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. Yeah. And amidst the busy schedule where I got, you know, multiple things going on from start to finish. And meanwhile, I'm driving him like three hours a day to try to get him to the right vet. And I tried two other vets. And so it's kind of a panicky trying to fix it energy. And, and then, um, I noticed for me, I, I could feel this ball in my stomach and I didn't want to deal with it, but all of a sudden I had this craving for food. So, and I remember one night I literally ordered a half a bottle of wine, a pizza, um, and a tub of ice cream, <laughs> like one of those little buried. And it was like all in the same night. And I was like, okay, well, what's, I'm not feeling something. And so to me, that's the action signal is like when I'm wanting to numb, avoid, or distract, it's an action signal that I'm not wanting to feel something. Right. So where in the past I used to shame myself for it. Now I just go, okay, I let myself be there, be present with this and, and kind of uh, um, not feel that pain for the moment. And then it's like, okay, I need to take these vices away and really feel what's beneath the surface. So after that, I, yeah, go ahead. Um, Yeah. So I think there's a, and I'd love to get your feedback on this because I know you've been doing a lot of work around this. The, the numbing part 
at what point would you say it shifts from being beneficial as a coping mechanism to being detrimental as a distraction in, in terms of, wow, I just kind of got hit with this reality that I, I might lose my cat. I might lose my job. I might lose my arm. I might lose my father to cancer. I might lose dot, 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 dot. Um, it's so overwhelming to me that I need to almost avoid and just kind of just numb it for a little bit so I can come back to it when I just have a little bit more strength. And maybe that's for a day or so. And then I, I almost need that to get back onto my feet. At what Do you feel like that's even healthy or do you feel like that's always somewhat detrimental? You know, then there's a difference between I'm just going to like just numb myself for a year just so I don't have to deal with it. Right. And, and, and just push it down, push it down, even though I don't see it, maybe in front of me, I'm just going to just kind of ignore it and bring in extra work, extra food, drugs, whatever it is to kind of distract myself. Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, and we go really deep with this uh, at the, at the men's retreats. And I know uh, Scott, we're going to be at the next one. So it'd be cool to really dive deep on this. And, but uh, what I found, and to broaden it, the numbing can be anything. It can be work addictions. It can be working out. It can be yeah. process addictions. It can be pornography. It can be games. It can be, there's so many things that it can be. And my experience is a lot of times I find we do it before we recognize that we are doing it. So I know for me, I'm like so in the reactive still that I don't realize it's happening before it's happening. That's my cat. <laughs> One second. All right, you need to pick your spot and be there. Okay, sit down. Good girl. So, uh, so for me, once that's so the big difference is if we shame it, we get stuck in it. Right. So, so that's almost like I, I guess it's almost like the labeling of it, and it's like okay, look, I I had a binge, I had a you know Ben and Jerry night, and I had some pizza, and and it's okay, you know, as opposed to maybe beating yourself up over it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the key is when you, again, especially if a traumatic events happened and then all of a sudden you jump into it, the key is to observe it as an action signal versus a shaming. So, so look at it like, Oh, I'm protecting my heart from something. And so it's an action signal like, Oh, I have a craving for food. I have a, whatever your numbing is, avoidance is, whatever it is for you. Uh, if you notice yourself wanting to do it, and like almost like it's a need almost like every night, like, oh, I just want to do this. And you'll also notice that it doesn't really fix it. <laughs> like you're noticing you're like, for me that first night, even though I drank wine and ate pizza and ice cream, it still didn't fix the void that I was feeling. It still didn't. It, it, I thought it would numb it, but it didn't, if that makes sense. It's still kind of like, yeah, it's like you're eating the pizza and it's still there. If that makes any sense or whatever the the thing is. So to me, if I look at it as an action signal, then I can be gentle with myself and say, okay, it's okay. What, what's beneath there? What am I, what am I avoiding? And, and I allow myself to move into my heart to feel. And I also allow myself to not keep numbing. So there's kind of a, a two-step with it. But for me, as I started doing Wavlet, I, I saw that I did the three. And then like the next night, I cut out the alcohol. I cut out the ice cream. But I think I had like a slice. Oh, I had I had some sort of food, but I changed the foods, if that makes sense. So to me, I still had the cravings for food to try to like protect the self. I think the body's trying to protect that, that density, 
but I allowed myself to eat like as much un, um, as much healthy food as I wanted, but as much as I wanted, if that makes sense, versus a portion. So that's how I move out of it is I observe it, connect with it, move in my heart and practice feeling. And then I allow myself, it's almost like what's, what's, if I'm going to do something, how can I do this at a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And so that's what helps me move through it and move away from it versus in the past, I would see it and be like, why are you doing this? Oh my God, you're doing this. You're going to get fat and you're going to get this. And then I would do it again the next night. And then I would go, oh my God. And it would become this shame loop, like this never ending shame loop. And then you're, you're recreating that. You're, you're like living in that versus observe it, connect with it, realize you're protecting, feel, and then, and then just change it slightly each time. And, to, and it slowly starts to shift. So for me, when I actually connected with it, I realized like, oh, wow, I'm really sad and I'm really um, I'm really upset about this. And the night that I allowed myself to feel, I actually went, it was really uncomfortable. I got to say, I think it was the only time I've done this. I went into like a, uh, kind of like a, uh, whatever, I don't even know what you call it, like a wailing. It was like such deep crying and like asking God to save him and please don't take him. And I don't want to leave him. And just like whatever I was feeling, I didn't even realize it was there. Yeah. It's like, I allowed myself to go past the head, which was like, I'm fine. I'm just going to work. It's all going to be okay type of energy versus deep into the heart, which was like, ah, I'm scared. I don't want him to go. You know, I was praying for my brother and angels and guides and God and everything I could ask for to please help. And, um, just like letting myself sob, like it was like really like letting myself be with the emotion that I was feeling of like this helplessness and this sadness and this not wanting to lose him, but also facing the fact that I may and kind of like, so that's to me, and the irony is it was like a whole evening. It shot my whole evening for me that likes to work, get stuff done. It was like I had to take a time out and just feel. And in allowing myself to feel and cry and mourn and weep and that whole, which felt, I got to say, again, I'll repeat it because for a man, for me, it was very, very uncomfortable to do it. And in experiencing it, I realized I'd never done that before. So it was definitely a first time um, allowing myself to be that, uh, feel that vulnerable, if you will. Um and, and in it, I remember him being on the floor and I was just laying on the next to the floor with him. But I got to say afterward that that same feeling was gone for that night, at least, right? Like that intense need to want to indulge, to not feel, I allow myself to feel and in allowing myself to feel it removed all the avoidance uh, mechanisms, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So in your process to, you know, kind of just like allow yourself, it's almost like, okay, I'm going to allow myself to be sad, be angry, let whatever emotion comes up. Did you feel like you had to go? That was, I guess, after the emotions of you going, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to like, I'm going to put on my big boy pants. I'm going to go to every specialist, this, you know, this side of Los Angeles and do everything I can to make sure. And then once you, I guess, got past that, it's almost like you had to go through that stage and then the stage of like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to release that for a little bit. I'm going to get from my head. I'm going to go into my heart and just, and just feel and just let it be. Yeah. So it was definitely like the first couple of days of just trying to fix it and solve it and going to different doctors. And then I think it moved into like more accepting that, this may not get better. And if it doesn't, there's a chance he could die. Like really facing that, I think. And I think a lot of people don't do that when it comes to life. I think a lot of people, I, I, cause I did, I did, I, I sell, I know this, I did a lot of research on this and that's one of the biggest problems 
is people don't face death. Even um, there's a bunch of studies that even cancer, people with cancer don't even face the fact that they may die. And a lot of them don't plan and don't do anything effectively because they literally don't even want to occupy the thought in their mind. So they resisted at all costs. So in the beginning, I started looking for solutions. And then once I realized there may be it is when I allowed myself to cry and to mourn and face it. But I wasn't quite to the point of giving in. I just was allowing myself to the first time feel what was emotionally there. And, and again, I think that's the distinction is in the past, I wouldn't have wanted to feel or I would have tried to avoid it, right? Or move into a place of action um, versus feeling it. And, and I did do action for four days. And then I was like, wow, there's a chance this could happen. And then I allowed myself to feel it. And then from that place, I could actually be a little bit more present with him and with me. And I was like, okay, I need to ask for help. And I've never, I've never done that. I've usually been one that was a little bit more, if anything, I might reach out to two friends and say, hey, can you hold space? But I literally posted something on Facebook um, I asked a lot of people, I said, Hey, I need some help. Can, you know, Shiva's having trouble. Can you, can people pray and hold space? And I realized I needed to ask for help for it. And so to me, that was kind of the next step. I was still fighting, if you will, yeah. but I was starting yeah. to face the fact that this may not make it through and allowing myself to be with those emotions, um, and to feel what came up. And it was tough because when you're very rigid in your day mm-hmm. and you have everything planned, and then all of a sudden the emotion comes, it interrupts the day and it takes over the day. And, and to me, that's the hard part I think about. It's, it was easier for me in the past to not deal and to put it in a box and to handle my schedule, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And, and this time I had to like put the schedule aside when the emotion showed up and allowed myself to go there yeah. um, and be present with it. But afterward, I was actually able to be present. And then I, um, I will say another big distinction about this versus other times is I worked out religiously the whole time, even though it was uncomfortable after the first three, four days, I was like, you know what? I can't let myself go. And so I literally started getting up at five 30 and I would take care of the cats and then I would run him to the doctor and then I would go to the gym and I was up at Topanga and I didn't like this other vet. So I literally drove him all the way across town. So I was driving an hour to take him to the vet to be IV'd and then to the office and then back to the vet and then back. So it was a lot, it was like three hours a day of driving and I ended up having a IV for nine days. So it went on another five days after I had my first kind of accept that he's going to die energy. Um, Shakti. <laughs> Be patient, babe. Sorry, Sean. Uh, Scott. So, but I think that's a good distinction because again, so much of the time we just want to not deal with stuff and run from stuff and avoid it. So one, allowing ourselves to feel when emotion shows up Two, making sure we take care of ourselves through it. And we don't let our whole life go to shambles because then we can't take care of them or us. Um, and so once I started to be able to do that, I could think a little bit clearer. I did end up spending, you know, roughly five, six grand in doing most tests. And there, then there was a pivotal point. So for me, about nine days in, I had a um, experience with the doctor, this, this 24-hour doctor who was like, you know, because I started asking the question like, okay, if we've done all these tests so far, like the other tests we're still testing for, like logically, even if he has those, could we, tr- like I started asking things outside the box, if that makes sense. I started to try to understand what they were doing and ask questions. And I, I, I just basically had a heart to heart with the doctor I really felt I trusted. And she's like, I feel like he has FIP. And FIP is a disease that about 2% of cats get. And it's something called the coronavirus, which is where their cells mutate. And it basically, they either get dry FIP or wet FIP. And the dry FIP version is like, uh, they last longer. And the wet FIP, it's almost like they're, they fill a mucus in their, their lungs or their chest cavity. 
and it just keeps growing um, and it makes it really hard for them to move and it's almost like it shuts their immune system down. And, uh, and a lot of cats, when they can't diagnose it, it's like out of trying to diagnose other things, it ends up becoming it. And there's other ways to test, which I did, but I got to a point on that night, which I finally accepted, okay, he's got FIP. And it was kind of like accepting, if you will, you have cancer or something like that. Um, yeah. And I feel like that was a, kind of the second big pivotal point for me of like actually accepting and not trying to get, cause I could have kept doing other tests. I could have kept him in the hospital 24 seven. It would have moved to $1,500 a day to take care of him. And I remember thinking like, let me check in with him. And, um, I remember when I did, there was this feeling of like, I, I think he just wants to be home with me, yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. it was like this big shift from like realizing it was about me before it was about me trying to take care of him and me trying to get the best care. And then all of a sudden, uh, I was able to feel him. And uh, when I felt him, I felt like he really just wanted to be at home. He didn't want to be stuck with needles and stuck in a hospital. And if he died, I'd rather he die with me at home. Yeah. So why don't you, so that's a really good segue. Why don't you take us to the process from how did your, how did your, this may be an aggressive word, but your plan of action or the way you, we're thinking about handling the situation. How did that shift once you kind of came to that heart-based realization of, okay, I feel like now she has a limited amount or now he has a limited amount of time left. Um, did it shift your thinking from, okay, there's still some stuff I can do, or is it more about accepting the inevitable or what you thought was possibly the inevitable. And I'm assuming that would dictate your actions and how you moved forward. So, so why don't you take us through that process of after you just had the revelation that you had, how did you proceed from there? Yeah. So, so after I had the revelation, then I came home and I remember it was a very somber night, a lot of crying, um, just kind of like, like kind of accepting, okay, this is, he's not going to make it and accepting because when you, you either keep trying to like, figure it out and diagnose to get a, a complete hundred percent positive or you accept this diagnosis. Um, and, and it's a couple, it could be a couple days to a couple weeks to a couple months, you know? And so I think the longest was a year and they put them on steroids to just make their life easier, but they're going to die. It's yeah. like not a matter of if it's, it's, they are. Yeah. So that night was a little bit tough. I, and again, I was sleeping on the floor with him cause he couldn't really jump on things. He would just sit. So I, instead of him coming to me, I went to him. And so, those nine days prior I'd been sleeping on the ground with him and just being there with him. And, and I remember I was sitting there like, okay, this is his path. So I, I changed directions and I, I initially thought it may be like just a couple of days. So I thought, you know what, you know, how do I give you the best little couple of days that you've ever had is how I shifted to. Um, and, and so I took him to, to Panga Canyon and we went up on this. I actually took him hiking him and his sister. <laughs> I re-rigged, I re-rigged the bag so I could actually carry this bag about, a quarter mile and I brought a big blanket and I found this really cool hike that I took him to and I hiked out and there's this beautiful valley um, where you could see the water and the mountains and I took him to a sunset and I took him up there and actually we did some filming for the film because the irony is here we got this film grief to grace and then I'm going through grief and doing it in a very graceful way of like accepting it and being with it and crying with it and, and, and going through it versus in the past I would have avoided it or found a way around it. So we filmed and we took him to the, there I took him to the beach. Uh, he thought it was actually hilarious. He thought it was a big sandbox. 
uh, or a big litter box. <laughs> yeah. And pee. Like, oh, dad, you took me to the big litter box? Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll pee here and go back in my, you know, and then I took him to uh, the Venice Canals and I took him to some places in nature and some creeks. And, and then I was going to put him down on Sunday because you, at some point you have to euthanize him. And then I was feeling his energy and I felt like he wasn't ready to go yet. And then I also felt, uh, I'll share another distinction here. I was initially planning this ceremony on top of this hill out in nature and I had this vision in my mind and then I paused it and said, what do you want? And I just felt to him and I felt again, he's like, I've had enough outdoors. Like that was really great. Now I just want to be home with you and my sister. And so I was like, okay. And so I got to say, it's been a really interesting process because if I was still caught up in my head, I wouldn't have been able to feel him and ask what he needs. And check in with him, I would have been doing what I needed or what I thought he needed. Yeah. Um, quick, quick comment on yeah. that. Um, I feel like that is a, it's a very interesting decision-making process that a lot of caregivers have for loved ones of people and pets that may be passing. And I, I, I feel that it always comes from a very genuine place, but at what points do you feel like you are making these decisions based on what you think they want or what you think you want. And I love that process that you just talked to us about where, you know, you took them to all these little adventures and it's like, Oh, of course they want to be out there. I want to do it for them. And you're doing it from this really beautiful place of wanting to give them ultimate fulfillment in their lives in their, in their last few days and at what point do you think that, you know, is this a really common thing where people might impose their own desires and, and not take that moment to, to sit and listen and to feel, you know, what do you want? You know, and with the pet, you can't get that verbal feedback. So you really have to step into your heart. Yeah. And, and, and I will say when I initially asked him and said, okay, well, I'm accepted because I've had, I've been through, I mean, I've had, I think now close to 20 people I know die, you know, from my brother to multiple best friends to just, yeah. just a lot of close. So I've been, I'm very comfortable with the death process, even though it's very uncomfortable. It's one of the areas that I'm very, um, I'm, I'm really okay in that space. If that makes sense. Like once to me, it was really tough the leading up to and the going through it, yeah. but, but I'm not afraid of it or I, I've done a lot of work around it and I'm really comfortable with that. So yeah, yep. it, it wasn't as much of like that. It was just facing that he was going to go and then mourning him and allowing myself to mourn him. But the process of it, so I checked in with him and I even had set up a psychic call with the, one of my good friends who does work with the FBI. Her name's Sunny Don Johnson. I'm a big fan of her. I did a lot of work with a lot of psychics and a lot of them I didn't resonate with and felt it was snake oil, if you will. And she is somebody that's a real deal uh, highly recommend her. So I'm a big fan. So, and she's still my go-to on random occasions when I don't feel I have the clarity to, to feel. And when I was still in the fix it mode, I reached out and scheduled the session and somehow between then and when the session happened, I'd already accepted what was it, what was it going to be? So I still did the session just to check in if there's anything else I could do. And she basically reconfirmed I was right on target and, um, had even said like, she liked says he really likes the sun and, and like these, which I resonated with. And that's where I was seeing these places is, I wanted to take him to be in the sun, you know, where he didn't have to like do a lot of work where I could just do the work for him and then he could have a little bit and then be in his space. So, so it, it, I felt it was totally aligned. And then when it shifted, I was able to feel when it shifted, if that makes sense. So 
Um, um, and I will say I had both extremes. I had people saying, giving me a lot of support about euthanization and getting to the place where I was okay with it. I had other friends who were hugely against it, hugely against it. And were like very aggressively wanting to influence me. Like you're not God. And, and, you know, allow the animal to, to leave when he's ready. Uh, very, yeah. very counter opinion. Like, mm. so it was really interesting because I was going to euthanize him the first Sunday and that day we didn't feel right. And I was kind of, and then randomly I had this friend call me and had a very kind of aggressive conversation. Like, would you like my opinion? And I was like, sure. And then she was, her opinion was very uh, aggressive on like, you're not God. You know, would you have wanted to choose when you're like, it was just very, and I got where she was coming from. She was coming from a place of love and how she chose to deal with it. But I will say, I don't think there is a right or wrong way. Again, I don't think there's a her way's right or or a euthanization. Like I just felt into like how do I get comfortable with always, if that makes sense. How do I move through my resistance? Because first I had resistance from euthanizing him, then I had resistance to not euthanizing him. How do, how do I work through all of those and get to a place where I'm totally at peace with both, so I can just check in with him? And I think that's the distinction is. If you notice resistance to something, it could be that that's when it's you, you know? So to back to your point, Scott, is if somebody's noticing like, oh, I have resistance to euthanize him, well, get to a place where you're comfortable with it, and then you can check in to see what he needs or she needs, you know? Um, I personally wish that euthanization was available for humans because if my life was ready to go and I wasn't in a place that I wanted to stay here, I'd probably do it, quite honestly. Um, and if it was a place where I was comfortable with um, you know, granted, I don't know the conditions and things. I just would want the option, you know, cause I feel like I'm in control and it's a very gentle way to transition. Um, I'm sure there's some really deep ways of suffering that people go through. And I, I, um, again, it's a whole nother conversation, but there's a, there's some amazing books. There's a, a book written by an ER nurse. Um, that's called it's okay to die. Um, and it's a, it's a brilliant book where she was the way our, our medical system currently works is, if you don't sign off an agreement that says they can let you go, they don't have to resuscitate you. They by law have to resuscitate you if you're dying. And there was like an 88 year old woman who was very, very fragile who um, started to, to go off and they had to resuscitate her by law. And by resuscitating her, they broke all the ribs, like all her chest and rib bones. And so literally like now her life is like complete suffering when she was so close to death anyway, she could have easily died and had a, just an easy transition Instead, they brought her back, resuscitated her, um, all these broken bones. So think of the immense pain. Now your whole chest cavity is broken open and now you're sitting there still waiting to die. You know, so there's, there's a lot of different perspectives in it. I spent so much time researching the subject. I'm a little bit more comfortable with it, but so again, I think that's a whole nother area of, of feeling into that space. And, uh, I think the takeaway is how do you, how do we feel into ourselves and do the work on ourselves? So we're, we don't have resistance to any option. And then we feel what the animal needs. And then that was my distinction is I love him enough to give him what he needs. Yeah. And I guess your process was just sitting still enough to try to get that feedback. Cause with a pet, you know, again, it's not verbal. It's, it's feeling into that. And I guess it's, you know, your process just to be slow enough to, to listen to them. Yeah. I think that was it. And so on Sunday he wasn't ready. I'm like, okay, he's not ready. And so then I'd say it was two weeks, I think, since then, and uh, either two or two to three, and oh, wow. he would mm -hmm. just sit. So he didn't have a fulfilling life, but I kept checking in, and he didn't feel ready. And I'd let him outside, and he'd sit in the sunshine, and he would kind of walk five feet, sit down, and smile, and 
lay on his back and he seemed happy and but that was like his and he would eat and then um and that was kind of his day quick quick question on that uh through that process I'm, i'm just curious the the sister of the Shakti? you know his sister yeah Shakti how how was she through that process and I was just curious you know because obviously us having this human experience and and having to deal with the death process I would say the hardest part of it is you know the mental projections that we have the expectations that we thought you know this person was going to be with us longer and you know everything that comes through the the head part of it. And, you know, these animals are, are, are very present, you know, they're, they're very in the moment. And, you know, did you see suffering with her? Did you see any type of shift in behavior? I was just curious on what was going through her during that process, or did it not seem like there was anything? And, you know, almost, you know, to the conversation that you had earlier, you know, like, who are you to play God and who are you to do this? You know, I, I feel like sometimes either cats or dogs or other animals, they'll either be more attentive or they'll be like, you know, I'm just going to kind of like do my thing. And that's the natural process and they're going to do what they need to do. And I'm going to just love and allow that. Yeah. I think, you know, what was interesting is she was so, I think you're right. Animals are so connected to the present and they're so I think they're just okay with what is it's like they sense what the other one needs. So I felt like she literally didn't even respond to him. I, they went from cuddling in the very beginning. Then she just stopped cuddling him. And I, my intuition told me, she's like, Oh, he needs space. Yeah. And just gave him space. And she became more cuddly with me. And I, so interesting about animals. I literally think that they're trying to take care of our pain. A lot of times, you know, that was a a big, aha I got, I had two random people, which I forgot to mention. Um, reach out to me. And uh, one of them was very intuitive. And it was actually the night I was on the ground crying and praying and asking for help. My friend randomly reached out and said, this girl wants to do a free session from you. (laughs) I was like, yes. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of sombered up and cleared my tears and then had this two hour conversation with this woman and who's a, a medical intuitive and did all this muscle testing and asking me questions. And basically through that conversation, I'll give you the cliff notes. What I got from it was that he was reflecting back where I was, um, holding density. And, um, again, my, my cats were Shakti for the divine feminine and Shiva for the divine masculine. So showing, okay, the divine masculine's like holding something and bent over and how and slouched, you know, like the density. Um, and it's just interesting. This is the time when like men in general, like the me too movement, and there's all these movements happening and it's like men are moving from, this, this place of suppressing women to realizing that they've been suppressed. And there's all this interesting things happening um, with the divine masculine. But I started, so I started to take also approach. Uh, and the reason why this is important is, is I started to take an approach of like, how am I co-creating this, right? Like what's the ownership that I have? Uh, if I take full responsibility for my life, then in some sense, I'm co-creating this with my cat. Um, and my cat is representing something to me in my life. So I'm not a victim to this happening to me. I'm a co-creator. And that energy was really powerful at that time for me to look at like, okay, let me reflect on my life. Let me reflect on the men's retreats. Let me reflect on all this stuff that I'm doing. And where am I taking on this energy that I might not realize I still have this density that he's now holding for me. Um, and it's almost like he's, and there were still areas that I didn't feel congruent in. Um, 
And even though I've been leading retreats and doing things, I've, I've shifted dramatically, but there were still areas that I could raise it up another notch. And that was the lesson I got is like, wow, okay, you're still not congruent in a couple areas. And he's reflecting that energy back. So, so to me, the reason I bring that up is when I look at Shakti, she's representing like playfulness and cuddliness and like this feminine energy. And I almost feel like she was like, let me just put your energy over here, daddy. <laughs> Why don't you focus on me? Don't focus on Shiva. Let him be. I'm going to kind of nurture you while he's like to take your mind off things. Cause I, I was letting myself cry. Um, sometimes I'd have Shiva in my arms and I'd be crying on him, you know, and just being with, being with whatever was there. And so, uh, so she was very like, almost like seemed like it didn't phase her was very independent, did her own thing, was very cuddly with me. So I didn't even think it phased her at all. So I was just kind of like, Oh yeah, he's okay. Or she's okay. And I will get into this in a minute. She's changed dramatically since he transitioned, but um, that was how she was before. Um, yeah. Well, it was almost, it, it was almost like, look, let me show you that he's actually okay. And maybe part of what he needs is just to have his own process. And I'm going to show that to you, see what I'm doing with him. And I'm, I'm, I'm letting him be, cause the one thing I do know about cats is when they, when they die, uh, Michelle used to have, they used to have a barn and, and they used to you know, live on this farm in Canada. And she's like, we had cats all the time. And she's like, you always know when they were going to die because they would leave the rest of the pack and they would find a small place to kind of like burrow up and go into a corner, go in a little nook to allow themselves to, to cross over. And a lot of times they're like, I just, I just want to be with my process. And it sounds like she was telling you like, Hey, you, you can, you can relax and, and let him be. Totally. Yeah. I think that was the, and again, I think animals are more okay with, again, they're, they don't focus on the past or the, or the future. They're in the present and the present was like, okay, he's there. This is what he needs. And I'm okay with that. And, um, so that would, that was helpful for me when she went through it or, you know, just seeing her okay with it, thinking she's going to be okay. Um, and then I came home Monday of this, actually it's still this week. I came home Monday and, um, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of asked his soul spiritually, like, Hey, let me know when you're ready by stop eating. Like, that's how I have a clear sign. Like if I, cause I was really worried. I had some fear come up that I wouldn't know and he would suffer. So for me, that was a challenge as like his guardian. And now I feel like he's my guardian was I'm totally willing to help you transition if you need it. I don't want to do it too soon, but I don't want you to be in pain, you know? And how do I find that line? I want you to live a great life. And when you're ready to ready. And, um, so I just had asked, Hey, when you're, and everybody had asked that you'll just know. Um, but I didn't know when I would know, cause I thought I had already known. <laughs> so I was a little confused. And, uh, this is my first, first animals that have been to totally mine. So, um, I, um, I asked him to stop eating, is our kind of bond. And so I came home Monday and he, he ate, but then he came over and I just heard him like wheezing. It almost sounded like, like it was almost like just to get a breath. I realized what it, what it was taking. And my guess is I think his, uh, cause it, uh, again, FIP is a disease where they basically, they get, I think they got something was in, including his, I think is either his lungs or somewhere it was now making it hard to breathe. And I realized like I even worried about it getting through the night. That's how bad it was. He would take like a deep breath and it was always, and I just, and his voice had gone. And I think that was the area that was being attacked by it as well. So I just realized something bad was going on. And um, I just, I looked at his eyes, his eyes looked really bad. And I just knew that. So Monday I just knew something just came over me and I just was like, Oh, it's time. 
and I gave him extra steroids because I'd, I'd had him on extra steroid treatment and then you whittle him off and I doubled his dose for that night. So he would make it through the night because it reduces inflammation, kind of gives him a movement and I wanted him to make it through the night. So I gave him extra steroids for the night, got him through the night. And then the next morning I woke up and he didn't eat, which I thought was beautiful because I'd already made the decision and then he didn't eat to confirm it, which felt very congruent. Um, and um, I'd done some research on a place. Actually, I had my my assistant. Thank you so much, Scott, for our our, um, our one earlier. Um, while I was in the midst of this, I had my assistant looking up different at home facilities um, to find. And um, so I had this woman came over to my house, and it was very beautiful. I, I created a little bit of a ceremony. I created a, a ceremonial circle. I actually filmed it for myself. Um, and um, I just allowed myself to be with him for a while. And um, as I waited for her to come over and then she came over and the really crazy thing is cause I'd asked my brother, I called on my brother quite a few times to come help. And um, especially that morning, like, Hey, can you come help make it an easier transition for him? And can you bring some friends and any of our other animals that had passed over for my parents and just make him an easy transition, you know? So he's got people there that are happy to see him and welcome him. And yeah. Yeah. And just for clarification, this, this is your brother that actually crossed over. Yeah. Over. I was reaching out to my brother who'd already, who'd already died. So that the irony is yeah, yeah. there's a deep comfort for me when I go, uh, this is one of the greatest takeaways from my brother leaving is I feel like he's there to welcome me. So it's a safety. I feel, I think that's one of the areas that has reduced my fear of death because I feel safe knowing he's there. Um, which that doesn't make any sense to me, but it's just something that's, that's come from it. So, uh, anytime somebody's around it, I always feel safe asking for him to kind of be a guardian to help, um, help people. So, and then the irony is it started raining and it was so random because, um, my brother loved the rain and it rained at his funeral. And so it was raining at Shiva's funeral technically. And it went from like bright sunny days in Los Angeles to cloudy rainy day all of a sudden. And, uh, it was really beautiful. I got to cry and kind of take that in and see the synchronicity in it. And then, and then she came over and it was a really beautiful process. Um, I will say this note as well. The reason I was even open to this is, um, after my brother died, my brother died of a heroin overdose. And when we had the, co the coroner called us, um, he basically said, hey, he had a needle in his arm. His arm and like his head is purple, right? Because it starts to change color. So I'm, I'm worried about you guys seeing him. Like, do you want to see him or not? And I was like, what should we do? And he's like, well, like I felt like his fear got instigated in me. And then I had fear. And then when we talked about it as a family, like I worried about my mom. So it was fear energy that we were running off of. And because again, there's so much unknown about death and we all have such a fear about death. Like I didn't want my mom to be the last image she saw or my dad, cause I'd had so many people die that I, I had these images of their bodies dead. And I guess I had so much fear around it, which I didn't realize at the time. And so we said, no, we didn't want to see my brother and we wanted to remember the memories that we, that we had. And um, so they just took them straight to be cremated. And um, in my journey of researching for the film, I spent, at least six months researching everything around the death space, like before, during and after. And one of the thing I came across is these home-based funerals and spent some good quality time with the woman who does them here in LA. And man, it totally changed my whole perspective. I went to a couple opening nights of her and learned about it. And it's almost like, man, it's such a huge way to heal of being present with the body and allowing ourselves to face it and to be with it and to mourn and to accept it. It's and the way she described it. I all of a sudden realized it was a, just such love and such beauty um, that I got to see my fear. I was like, oh my God, I was in so much fear when my brother died. So with that known, 
Um, now with Shiva dying, I wanted it to be in my arms. I wanted to be with him when he died. It was a totally different place than not seeing it. You know, uh, the before was I don't want to see it. I'm afraid now I was like, I want to be with this. I want to mourn with this. I want to be part of the experience. So she came to the house. We talked for a while and then she just gave him a shot when I was ready in his back. And it's like a sedative, like a pain sedative. And then he just kind of like laid down and, and then I just petted him and then she gives him this other one and he transitions and it was really beautiful. I got to pet him the whole time. He did it in my lap. And then while it was happening, right as I felt like his spirit, like you could almost feel his body become more lifeless and almost like his spirit leaving. Literally Shiva Shakti comes running over and like pounces on his table, on his, on his tail, like pounces and starts playing with his tail. It was such a, like out of nowhere, her, like a really calm, surreal energy all day. And then she's like this radical, playful energy. And then she like looks up towards the mirror and jumps up, like almost like she watched his spirit go. It was such a, it was such a, a surreal experience. Um, and then just to feel him like being present and then to feel him shift and transition and then to hold him for a while and then put him in a little basket. And then she takes him to uh, a crematory. And then I chose to, uh, I chose to actually go deeper into my process. So I actually went to the crematory. Um, I viewed him in this thing and the, I, it was, there was a couple, there was a two days. So they, they put him there on, on Tuesday and I wasn't able to make it down till Friday. And so they freeze him. So then seeing him fr frozen, you know, from where he was when I saw him. Um, and just, so you know, like cats die with their eyes open. So there's a little, there's just things that are a little bit different. And we have to be okay with seeing the body um, different, you know, in its transitional form. So um, she did a great work on prepping me. And I'm really comfortable with those things and knowing what I'm like. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be present with it. So, um, and then seeing his body again, it was so healing for me um, because just seeing that it's not Shiva, it's his body. And I'm seeing his body decom decompose, but it's not him. And it was very clear distinction. Um, you could just feel the difference from like a soul spirit energy lighting it up to just a body. You can really see the, the distinction. And then they take him and they put him into the crematory and that goes for like an hour, hour and 15. And then I come back and they open it up and you can see these bones and they scoop the bones out and put them into like this blender type thing. And they blend it up and then you get like this powder um, of the cremation. They do the same thing with, which I never knew. That's why I'm great. I'm sharing it because my brother had like chunks and I, sh I do a lot of stuff with my brother's ashes and sharing with people. And my buddy in my film, my partner, in my film, Chris, his brother um, was really fine. And we didn't know the difference. Like, how do you, you know, we're just so not taught to deal with anything around this. So there's so much fear that there's, you know, it just was helpful for me to understand it and to be with it. And I felt a lot of healing, just like being through those steps of the process allowed me to really be at peace. So, you know, I'd say now where we're at is, you know, like now it's daddy daughter time, <laughs> you know, and I'm, um, I'm, she's been, uh, I took her to work, a Shakti, to work with me the first two days. I said, you know what? Because I work in Burbank, uh, one of the projects I'm working on. And so I just packed up her to-go litter box and took her with me. And um, she cried all the way there and all the way back in the car, which was really different to me because um, she never cries. She just sleeps in the car and I take her everywhere. So that was really interesting. And then also she would just cry around the house a lot, um, almost like a morning. Um, and I think that's what it is. I think cats are present. So when she thinks about her brother, she's like, where are you at? Where are you at? I don't know if it's like that energy or like, where's he at? Or I wish he was here. Or I think when they feel it, they mourn and then they're off doing whatever. And then it comes up and they mourn and then they're off doing whatever. So I think it's a very, 
um, again, they're very present with what's coming up and what they feel. And when they feel it, they go into it and then they move into something else. And so um, that's been really interesting. And I also learned that I didn't realize, I don't think Shiva was eating all of his food. And I think she was eating his <laughs> for about the last three I said, it sounds like if she was eating his food, then you may not have even gotten that feedback. Because I think one of the, you know, signs you were looking for was, you know, when he stops eating, then that'll be a sign, and uh, <laughs> you may have not been able to get an accurate feedback. Well, of that he if would, she was they would food. run over together, like they would both cry, and because that's the one time they talk is usually when they're hungry, and then. I would bring him their food and then they would both eat. So I would watch him because I was very intently watching him, but he would only eat about a quarter. So he was still eating. He just wasn't eating a half a can. He was eating like a quarter of his normal oh, okay. portion. Yeah. And then I didn't think anything of it because at the old place, I would pick up the dishes when they were done and put them in the fridge because there was ants. <laughs> so, cause I was in the mountains, but at the last place that I was at, cause I moved three times during this thing, which was crazy. Um, there, I could just leave it out. And I think what happened was, I think he was only eating a quarter of the can and then she was eating the rest. So I think unconsciously what happened is I was unconsciously feeding her double for three weeks, almost double, like, like one and a half. So I think all of a sudden I started feeding her regular and all of a sudden she's hungry. So I think it was a mixture of morning and she was just hungry, <laughs> right? Cause she got used to eating at a certain level. And then all of a sudden I cut her unconsciously. So again, but again, if, back to our original thing, if I wasn't present, I wouldn't have been able to pick it up. You know, right. and like, yeah. okay, are she morning or actually she's hungry? Oh, wow. She's hungry. So, well, how, and how is she doing now? So I know you've done a lot of studying of how people really deal with uh, transition, grief, loss. How are you noticing from, I, I guess, your own internal perspective as an observer, but, but then also an observer of someone who has been studying this for, you know, 15, 20 years now of her process post death and loss. I mean, here she had her whole life was her brother next to her side, or at least in the same vicinity and now completely gone. Have you been maybe watching her as she, you know, does her thing post, um, you know, post death? Yeah, it's been, I mean, I can just feel it, you know, I'm, I'm, I can feel the the missing and I can feel when she misses, I miss, and it's, it's different, even though I play with her, I can't play with her like he did. Yeah. Um, so I've just tried to be extra present with her and, and give her a lot of attention. And, and I think we both needed it <laughs> quite honestly, like I needed to be around her and pet her a lot and she needed to be around me. So I think the first couple of days we've just been extra attentive to each other, at least you know, he transitioned on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday was definitely a lot of just connection time. Even though I was working, I would yeah. stop a lot and play with her. And at night I would just pet her and she would lay next to me and uh, on the desk. It was difficult because I was at my friend's house. So I had to keep her in the bathroom and usually she sleeps on the bed with me. So I had to kind of keep her isolated a little bit, which I was a little worried about, but I just had to do it. And so, and then I was moving the last two days. So it's been nice to, I think tonight, like even like last night, she got to sleep on the bed. I'm finally back in my place. And she just seemed much happier back in our home, you know? And so um, I, she seems happier now that she's here. I definitely see she's missing him though. I mean, man, they spent all, of, all their days together, you know? Um, and they were super bonded. Like they were constantly cuddling and, you know, next to each other um, or playing with each other or doing whatever. So I've just, I kind of have, what I've learned is I have to make sure I'm present with her. So I have to play with her and uh, I can't be too busy and not great space, you know? 
So I have to make, especially now I have to make extra time to play multiple times a day and just really give her that attention she needs because she needs it. Um, yeah. I'm also, and, and so I think she's doing well again, if she's an animal. So I think they're a little bit better at accepting it and yet she's still mourning. I can see it. I can sense she's mourning and missing him. And it's just different because I think they do it in the moment. If that makes sense. I yeah. think where humans yeah. fall short is we push it down and we don't allow ourselves to be present with it. And I think, uh, again, that's been my greatest growth through all this process is I'll actually allow myself to be with it. I allow myself to go through it, not trying to avoid it or run from it or, you know, more accepting it and being with it and then slowly curbing the, whatever the numbing is to get better and better and better each time, you know? So, um, I was still craving food all the way through it. Didn't mean I got, it, did, it ever went away. It would feel better when I would cry a lot. And then I just started eating healthier food and eating as much as I wanted. So I still found, or if that makes sense. So I don't, I don't want to make it seem like there's this one thing and then you don't have any cravings to numb. I just, um, what I've learned is if I make them better for me, I feel better about them and it doesn't affect my body as hard because the body's just trying to protect us too. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, I guess the next step, and I guess the question that probably, uh, you know, I have and, and probably a lot of our audience members that are thinking right now, what, um, I know this is still very fresh for you. What, what is your thought process right now about possibly, you know, getting a little partner, a companion buddy into the equation and, you know, at what point do you take into your considerations of like, okay, you know, what does Josh need? And, um, you know, what, is, what does the cat need as well? Yeah, it's a great question. It's interesting. Like almost even before he died, there was a point when I faced it and I immediately went online and started looking at cats and I, my, my oh, immediate wow. knee jerk mm-hmm. was like, fill the gap. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, wait a second. He's still here. And I just put that on the shelf and was like, be present with him. Um, until he's not, and there's a chance he could still make it, you know, don't, don't totally surrender. Like once I accepted it, I went all the way to the extreme and then I allowed myself just to be with him. And then what I decided is after he transitioned, which now he has that I would just allow time to grieve for me and for his sister. And then I would ask her what she wants. So I would just kind of tap in and see what she needs. And I would of course love another one. Um, and I think she would love, I mean, I'm already sensing she would love a buddy, but one of the things I learned is I want to get a kitten and um, on this FIP, there's a, there's a Facebook community called FIP fighters and it's for anybody that's struggling with it. And super helpful community, very helpful for me during this process. And um, they recommend you wait seven weeks at a minimum mm-hmm. because it takes the coronavirus seven weeks to be killed off. So I have to go through a very thorough cleaning process and making sure that I've killed the coronavirus off of all of our stuff. So even their cat trees or like I had the cat tree sitting outside in the sun all day today. Um, Cause that kills it. Uh, I'm going to clean all the tubs and just linens, a clothing, like everything needs to be deep cleaned because they don't really know how it's transferred. And yeah. kittens have the greatest susceptibility because their immune systems are really weak. So the fact that I've actually already had a cat in my house, I need to wait seven weeks and do a lot of deep cleaning. Now, luckily, <laughs> uh, Shiva wasn't here for a lot of it, you know, but he was here for the beginning and it's been cleaned a bunch of times. So I think my house is pretty good. I think it's just the cat boxes and cat trees that I need to really kind of clean, but I, mm. I definitely would like one. I want to check in with her and make sure I feel it with her, but I think she wants to play so much. And again, I'm a, I'm such a workaholic that I think it would really benefit her to have a companion when it's time. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess you'll probably take these next few weeks to just kind of wait and see and and, and just see what what resonates with you. Um, so as we close this out, I, I really appreciate your, you know, all of your really candid feedback and, and you being so vulnerable and, and, and sharing your process. I, I know for, for pet owners that, you know, this, this is our family, you know, these are our children and, you know, we are so attached to them. And, and, and I know for a lot of us, the fear of losing them can, can get overwhelming to a point where, you know, you don't even want to think about it. Uh, so, you know, what you shared was, was, was really valuable and, you know, it, it hit home on, for me on, on so many levels. So as we start, as we wrap this up, uh, you know, any final suggestions or tips or anything that you went through that anybody that has a pet that might be coming into this process or is possibly going through this process right now, you know, any type of resources or anything that could be beneficial to our listeners, you know, in, in preparation for, for anything like this, I thought, you know, might now might be a really good time for, for you to give any kind of feedback that you've you know learned through your process. Yeah. You know, actually um, I did a post on Facebook and um, just sharing with people and I had a good friend reach out that literally after I'd already shared the first part of my cat asking for help between then and my cat transitioning, her cat randomly one day they found it was sick and the next day they had to put her down and it was a cat oh, of like wow. 15 years. Oh, and wow. um, she had actually been saying like, she's been in that numbing phase of like numbing, avoiding. She's been mean to everybody. She was angry. Like she just, so, uh, so, you know, what she said is I need to be more gentle. I need to be gentler, more compassionate, more loving towards myself. I need to really kind of shift into a different space. So I'll share kind of the same tips that I did there is just in summary, we've already shared them today. But I think as a summary, one I'd say is how do we work through our fear of death? Like, 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 so if it's happening or it's coming or it shows up, like the sooner we can face that fact and allow ourselves to feel that fact, even as tough as it may be. And as we're feeling it, if we mourn, if we cry, like allow, like this, to me, this is the biggest key. Allow yourself to feel as hard as it will be. You don't want to feel it as hard as you want to push it away or avoid it or protect your heart by some numbing mechanism. Um, allow yourself to feel it and emote whatever that energy or that emotion is. And in allowing yourself to emote that energy, it'll actually bring you into your heart and you'll be present and connected with what is. Um, not some projection of the future, right or wrong, good and bad, you know, all the shaming, judging, all that. It just allows you to be in your heart and accept a little bit. The heart is really unconditional. The heart is truly, truly unconditional love and it's fully accepting it is divine grace so if we can get into the heart there's a place of grace that we get to that is very gentle compassionate loving supportive and present and so i feel like facing it gives you the the feeling to know where you're at and then i think just trust your intuition of like sometimes it's about conquering and, and finding a solution and you'll know I, I talked to numerous pet owners that were like oh yeah my first pet i spent one, 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 one of the guys in my men's retreat said he spent 10 grand on a dog that was going downhill and he kept spending, 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 and he, you know, till finally they couldn't anymore. And I've heard numerous stories. And then as they've done it more times, they learned kind of where, okay, this, this pet's going to go. And they learn how to, how to transition sooner with more ease. And so I'd say, trust your vibes, whoever's listening. And, and you know, like when it's happening, trust your soul, trust your connection with them, trust your, your intuition, trust your heart, allow yourself to feel, to emote. Um, to allow yourself to be with those emotions 
um, um, allow yourself to, because again, uh, the biggest distinction is the pain and the sorrow that we're feeling is actually our love. And it's such a, and again, I'm back to what I mentioned in the beginning, the level of love that we experience or have for something will equal the level of pain and sorrow and grief that we feel. So the more like, I love this, these cats so much is why it was so intensely painful for me to grieve them. I was wailing. I was doing these things because of my love is why I was experiencing such a deep level of pain, if you will, and sadness. So, but because I've, I've been down this path and I'm studying this path, I could see that. So instead of being afraid, I was actually able to go, wow, this is my, because I'm experiencing this, I see how much I love them. It was a totally different perspective for me. So if you can have that perspective, it really gives you courage to go into your emotion because you get to experience your love. You get to experience how much you love them. You get to experience how much they mean to you. So it's actually a way of ritualizing their their death. It's ritualizing what they mean to you. It's ritualizing and bringing sacredness to this part of the journey of life and remembering the sun comes up, the sun goes down. You know, the seasons change. Part of life is the death and the rebirth. And with the death, there is a rebirth. There's something that gets reborn. And uh, also what's been really helpful for me is honoring their death with how they chose to go. This is a big one. Um, this is something I've had to do with my brother and it's something that also learned, I learned how to do it with Shiva. So I had to honor my brother. My brother died from a a heroin overdose and I have to honor him that that's how he chose Mm. to go. And how do I honor him with dignity? Not my right or wrong. And think if that's the right or wrong way to go or any of my judgments, how do I know? I mean, God is God. I'm not God, right? God chooses my opinion. God is the co-creator. It's God, spirit, universe, consciousness. It's all the same thing to me, whatever created us. And if that's how he chose to go, that was between my brother's contract and source, spirit, God, and it's even an effect on me. So how do I honor that with sacredness, right? And so the same thing with with my, with my Shiva. If this is how Shiva was supposed to go, let me honor him with sacredness on his, his choice. Let me honor his choice. And it, it's a way of empowering him that doesn't uh, – so I want to – a lot of people can tend to take on grief and guilt and shame, like I could have done this or I could have done this. Because sometimes the situation looks like you did something wrong. And I, I, I have a belief that they, they choose. Even if it looks like we did it, I still believe, uh, I'll give you a short story. Uh, one of the guys that's coming to this next uh, retreat, he had a, a dog and um, he was military vet, a couple wars. And um, um, the dog was acting up one day that he blew a lid and whatever he was doing, he wasn't that aggressive, but the neighbors saw it, reported him. Anyways, long story short, he's had this whole drama over being this, and he's a dog trainer. He's amazing with animals. It was just this one moment that got caught, yeah. and it's it's really been a detriment to him in his life because he was labeled like the dog uh, abuser, and all these horrible things have happened because of it. And so he's had a lot of trauma. He's been resolving, and the irony is, uh, we were having a conversation. I was like, "What if that was his gift to save you?" Because he was actually a workaholic you know, going down this direction of not fully being alive. And that forced him to go into his heart and open up and it's created all this change. So I was like, what if instead of all these things happening, what if that was actually your dog's gift to you? What if he knew or she knew by you doing this, it would actually wake you up and bring you in your heart and you would live. And it may be the sacrifice of her. But again, so I think when we can transition our expectations and what we think it is and honor what is, and honor them and their choice they made and look for the ways the, of how this, what possibly could it mean? And so for me, I'll tie this back. For me, what Shiva showed me is how do I, how do I level up? 
So for me, it was um, still struggling with getting rid of pornography, uh, be transparently. And so I would go to it from time to time. So I said, okay, it's enough. It's done. And shifting that energy out of my life. And, you know, to me, that feels very congruent. I can do it for him. You know, I can do it for him so that I don't pass this on to my next cat or whatever energy I'm holding, that that's a buffer for me. Um, or, you know, these other other areas that I wasn't, um, you know, fully playing at my full, which is tied into food and some of these other areas. So to me, the irony is by me choosing that in that area, it's actually changing the other areas and making it easier for me to make other decisions. So I'm looking at it as, an, as a tribute to him, what I can do to level up my life and how I can be more in integrity, have more honor, um, have more grace, um, and not have that empty void density that I felt he he took on for me. How can I how can I handle that myself so that he doesn't or my future kids or future partner doesn't have to hold that energy? How can I handle it? Um, so I'd say that's the lessons. How can we take responsibility that this is co-creating and showing us a reason? And how do we find meaning in it? How do we find a meaning that empowers us to to make ourselves stronger, powerful, more bold? more vulnerable, more, more real, more authentic, um, and more loving. And, and then I'd say also, I'd highly recommend checking into the home funeral. I think it's a very, um, supportive process when it's time and, and doing it, doing it at home and checking in and also letting you know, you'll know, um, I knew people told me and that happened. You'll know when it's time. And then I just also, you know, I hold a lot of space for you. Um, there's a fit fighters again, as a resource I mentioned earlier, fit fighters is a Facebook group, but they have fit. Um, for cats, that was really helpful for me. And um, yeah, if you're going through it, I just hold, totally hold space for you. It's very difficult and challenging. Yeah. Well, Josh, thank you so much for for sharing your story. And you know, for everyone out there, just you know, give your pet one big kiss on the forehead and you know, one big snuggle. Uh, but know that it's 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 okay, and that it's it's just part of the of the process. And I think the more that you can, you know, accept it and, and, and love what is, um, you're actually doing them such a, such a deep service. So, um, you know, Josh, thank you again. Like, uh, mm. just, just fantastic, you know, feedback that you shared. And, you know, I, I, I can, I can just tell you my experience through listening to this. It just, I'm going through, I was just going through my own projections of, you know, what would that be like for me? to have to go through that with, with any of my cats. And, um, because, you know, I just, I love what you said about the magnitude of, you know, the process that you're going to go through with the death is going to be equal to just how much love you have in there. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, as you were talking, I'm like, yeah, that's fucking scary. (laughs) You know, I'm like, I fucking love these cats so much. I go, that's scary. But I think what you also gave me through this conversation is just the, just the allowance of me to actually be okay with, yeah, I know that it's going to be hurt or I know that I'm going to go through intense pain because I know that I'm going to, because I know that I love my cat so much that it's going to be equal to um, you know, my process is going to be equally as intense, but I think also knowing that it's going to be intense, that even though it's going to suck and hurt as I go through it, I think because I'm, I'm a little bit more prepared for it, that it's actually going to make it a little bit easier to, to actually go through, um, you know, if you will, because it's like, Oh, okay, well I'm almost like, it almost will, will help me. I feel that it'll almost help me 
accept it a little bit more and to actually um, be a little bit more present with the with the transition process, which I think ultimately will help me with um, you know with being more present f- for them because ultimately I think that's what they want and, and and listening to what their needs are. So yeah, well, and I'll just one yeah. more note on that. It's it's literally when it happens, if we can reframe it to a sacred ritual, it's like one of the most sacred experiences you'll get to experience, even though it sounds so incredibly uncomfortable and my heart goes out to you whenever it happens with whoever you go through it with, whether it is a, a cat, a son, a, ch- a daughter, uh, a husband, a wife, a, f- a best friend, a partner, a, a parent, whatever it is. But if we can be there in our heart and literally look at it like this is beauty, this is sacredness. Um, it is, it is, and it's a gift and really show up in that way and be with our emotion. Don't push them down. So if you cry, cry. If you mourn, mourn. If you're with it, with it, and you'll you'll be right there with it, and it'll be one of those moments on your deathbed where you're like, "Oh, that was one of my moments." Yeah. You know, so like it gives us the opportunity to create, co-create a sacred moment. Beautiful. All right, everyone. Uh, there'll be show notes. Um, I'm gonna try to put some pictures of all the cats on there just because we're we're a little bit obsessed. Um, and if you guys have any questions or you would like any resources, please, please feel free to reach out. And uh, we will see you guys on the next episode. Are you ready to take your personal, relational, or business fulfillment to the next level? With one-on-one personal support, co-developed strategies, and accountability, Scott and Joshua have the tools, compassion, and years of experience helping people just like you live an extraordinary life. between the ages of 25 and 55 and live in the Southern California region, our Men's Mastering Freedom Retreat is offered quarterly for individuals seeking to increase their fulfillment in an extended weekend gathering. This is an incredibly powerful and transformative weekend. And just for our podcast listeners, there is a $200 discount just for mentioning the podcast. Visit masteringfulfillment.com slash retreat for details.